Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones. Hey, welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, sponsored exclusively by our friends at Newport One. Uh, This is Andrew Olson, and I'm joined today by my good friend and co-host, Roy Jones. Hey, Roy, how are you? Good, very good. Very excited to talk to Jesse today. She's one of the, I won't say few people, but one of the people that has worked on both sides of the aisle. Heads a big agency now and at the same time has worked on the nonprofit side. And uh, I love those kind of people because I am one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So we're, we're talking today to our good friend, Jesse Marsh. So Jesse is a senior director at Changing Our World. If you don't know Changing Our World, they're a global philanthropic consulting firm. But like Roy said, she's also, you know, she's spent a lot of time and led organizational development, fundraising, communications, uh, and PR for one of the largest social service organizations in the Pittsburgh area. So, Jesse, welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. Hey, thanks for joining us today. So, um, before we jump into anything, give us a you know a quick synopsis. Who are you? What's your experience? And tell us a little bit about changing our world. So, um, you know, I went to college for advertising and journalism, and you know, promptly graduated and started working at a homeless shelter much to my parents' chagrin, Um, but I got the opportunity to um, have the experience of working in a nonprofit and just fell in love with it. It was an organization that I volunteered at in college, and they asked me to come aboard, and so I did that for a couple years and then moved to Seattle and worked for a couple more social service organizations, some on the program side, some on the volunteer management side, and then um, came back to Pittsburgh and at my next social service organization got the fundraising bug. They were like, hey, you're good with people and you know, you like to, to talk a lot. So why don't, why don't you become a fundraiser? Um, I don't think I'm the only person that fell into the job that way. <laughs> yeah, we all grew up saying we want to be a beggar for a living. So uh. <laughs> Right. I mean, I was the kid that, you know, when I worked, you know, when I played on the softball team and we had to sell hoagies or something to pay for uniforms, my mom would come running at me and say, no, 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 you're not asking people for money. I'll just pay for it. So I wasn't allowed to fundraise as a child. So it's kind of strange that, you know, for the last 12, 14 years have been doing that for a living. I think God. you've made up for it. <laughs> God has a sense <laughs> of humor. That's what I always say. That's right. So. And so, Jesse, what are you doing these days at uh, Changing Our World? And what are they about? Sure. So I was the director of development for almost 10 years at Light of Life Rescue Mission and just decided that it was time to, you know, move on from there and decided that the best way to do that would be to consult. So joined a small uh, consulting firm and worked there for a while and then um, had some conversations with Changing Our World, which is a large consulting organization based out of New York, fundraising social impact consulting firm that um, is both nonprofits and corporations. So on the fundraising side, you know, we raise billions of dollars for nonprofits, schools, churches, hospitals, international organizations. And um, one of the the things that I think is most interesting about our firm is our focus on data. Uh, We were one of the first firms in our sphere to build out a research and analytics team. 
So when we're making recommendations to clients, you know, we're, we're always backing that up with data, which I think is, is key to a lot of what we do. Very cool. Shameless plug. Uh, I've known the Changing Our World team for about 15 years. Uh, they're some of the brightest people that I've uh, worked with in the industry. So if, if anybody's looking for campaign counsel, check them out. All right, let's get to the real questions of why we're here. So we're here to talk today about how organizations can leverage strategic communications, public relations, and media to advance their fundraising. So the first thing that I want to know from you is talk to us about you know, what you found to be the most successful way to build and cultivate media relationships when you're in a nonprofit. You know, what, what's that approach look like? So when I was the development director at, you know, a social service organization, I had inherited um, what they had done before, which I would describe as, as reactive. You know, the media might want to cover your event or might want to cover something that you're doing or something happens like, you know, in this case, we serve the homeless. And so, you know, a homeless person, unfortunately, might pass away somewhere and then and there would be a news story on and they would call station to get a comment on that sort of thing. So I would say prior to my joining and overseeing that part of the organization it was reactive, which I think a lot of organizations do. Um, and then, you know, we really shifted it to being much more proactive. You know, we set some pretty intense goals. They started out with having 12 positive media exposures a year. That was the goal. And we pretty much doubled that every year um, just because we started to get a little bit more strategic. So some of the ways we did that, um, we it to have a couple of high profile celebrities that supported our station encouraged um, not only their reputation, but also their relationships with the media. Um, sometimes they could make a call for us and connect us. It was extremely helpful. We asked other who are well-connected for introductions to newscasters, to news anchors, to producers. I think that's one of the things that can be a helpful thing to do is realize that you know, there's there's news that happens that day and needs to be covered, but there's also planning goes along with, you know, producing all of these, you know, newscasts and shows that are out there. And so there are producers who are thinking months ahead of time. And so sometimes if you can get in front of those people and talk to them, you know, hey, we, we do stuff with the homeless. We have a soup kitchen. We, ha we serve children. Did you know that we serve children? Here we serve people who are in recovery from addiction. So making sure that they understand the, the scope of what you do, I think, is really important because, as we know, people outside our organizations make a lot of assumptions about what we do and don't do and how we do it and why we do it. So um, I think that can be helpful. We found a lot of reasons to be in the news. One of my favorite things when I am working with an organization on communications is to kind of walk them through brainstorming all of the good reasons they could be in the news. And I would say you should be able to figure out how to be in the news because it's raining. You know, any something that seems inconsequential, those tiny little holidays that you don't even know what they are that are on your calendar. So I like to brainstorm those kinds of things with clients so that they can just start to think creatively. Because once you help people start thinking like that, then they can be prompted by the various things that happen and they go, oh, we could write a press release about this. So I think just helping to kind of get those creative flowing and think about all the different reasons you could be in the news. 
I think if you're a small organization, organization, it's great to partner with, with somebody who's more of a, of a big dog, so to speak. You know, they already have relationships with the media. They already get coverage in the media. So that's something that um, even though we weren't a small or new organization, sometimes we would leverage a partnership in order to um, get our coverage. I think another thing that's really important um, is to have the right spokesperson. You have to figure out who that is, both positionally in the organization, but also someone who has the right personality for it. You know, my friend Kate Wadsworth served as our um, spokesperson for a long time, and, you know, she was really committed to getting better and better each year. So she would work on different things and set goals for herself and just became so comfortable and it was so natural for her to talk about the organization you know, as the development director, I could have been the spokesperson, but I thought she was better at it. <laughs> and so I encouraged her and, you know, served more as a producer for different things that we made because she just was a natural at it. So I think sometimes, you know, you, you may not be the right person, but if you are, you have to, to step up and serve as that, as that spokesperson. And then the last point on this, you know, we gave the media what they needed. We were responsive. We were respectful. If they came, we showed them where the bathroom was. We gave them cookies. Um, we treated them really well, especially if they were coming to us for comment on something that didn't actually have to do with us, but they thought of us as they're the thought leaders. They're the experts. That's who I want to pick up the phone call. I know they're going to call me back. You know, we trained our staff, even the front desk staff, when they picked up the phone, if it was a, a media person calling, the first thing we had them do was ask that person's name, their phone number, and when their deadline was. Um, mm -hmm. When you have your front desk staff trained to that level, like, they're like, those people know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. What I hear you describing is a highly intentional process. Right. Also, that you approached it first and foremost from a relationship point of view. So we, mm -hmm. you know, we talk a lot about uh, philanthropy and about major gift fundraising and relationship building. And I think a lot of organizations don't think of their PR in that same respect. They think, how are we pushing out messaging, right? Or mm -hmm. what technology tool do we have to track what media hits we're going to get? You rarely hear organizations say, how are we doing on making sure that we're building and maintaining those right relationships and that we're giving... Right. We're giving the media the kind of experience that they need in order to feel good about working with us in the right. same way that they might a donor or a volunteer. So I think that's a really smart sort of distinction in the way you approached it. I'm curious, you know, we, we work with a lot of organizations. We've all probably consulted with or been part of organizations that sort of treat media as a wholly disconnected aspect of their organization, right? So I, mm -hmm. I was uh, working with an organization, a healthcare organization, where the media relations, the PR, the comms team, they were in a completely different building. They had a completely different reporting structure. I don't know that they ever really talked to the fund development side of the house. And so what that created was this scenario where the organization was saying one thing out in the public on the airwaves and then saying something completely different in all of their fundraising communications. And I'm, I'm wondering, what has been your experience with, with organizations and, and kind of helping to, to bring those things closer together so that really there's a, not to overuse the word, but a fully integrated communication strategy where it doesn't sound to a donor like they're listening to two different organizations tell them about what's going on in the world? Sure. 
So, um, you know, if I have the like magic wand that I can wave, I mean, the first thing I would do is put communication and, and public relations under the development umbrella. So I think that that's ideal and having a person who really gets it with both because hopefully in your, you know, in your appeals, in your fundraising communications, you know, you're telling stories where lives are transformed and you're talking about how your organization makes a difference and how, you know, people change because of the interventions of your organization, you know, assuming we're talking about some kind of organization that deals with humans, maybe it's puppies and kittens, but um, you know what I'm saying. So I think that, you know, you're telling those stories in your fundraising messaging. And then on, on the other hand, you know, you have the media and they want news. They want something that's newsworthy. They want something that, you know, is, is timely. They want something that is a little different than the run of the mill. And so you have to figure out how to, you know, as you said, marry those two things. So for example, you know, if the fundraising is talking about, the impact that the soup kitchen makes, but the media is interested in say stories on addiction. Stories on addiction are very popular right now because of the severity of the opioid crisis. And so, you know, you can definitely get um, a story that focuses on addiction and recovery into the news, but you have to marry that to, and you know, here's the story about this person. And oh, by the way, they came to us because they first came to us for a meal in mm. the soup kitchen. Um, so I think you have to kind of make those connections. You don't want, as you said, for your fundraising messaging to be completely separate from you know what you're pu- you're putting out there in the media. I want to go a little further on that. Sure. How do we help organizations? with the issue of, of feeling like their media stories need to always cast the organization in a positive light. You know, I, I hear all the time organizations say like, oh, we would never say anywhere in, in public media outlet that um, the organization, you know, might, might have a financial need or hmm. there's anything that's not perfect happening. Yeah, that's and a we good all, that's We a good all know question. that's not real, right? So how do we, how do we help organizations understand and get comfortable with the idea of pulling that curtain back a little bit and Mm -hmm. what the opportunity is there and maybe the risk too. Right. That's a good question. Well, I think on one hand, you can almost always talk about things in a positive way. Even if, I mean, even if someone has, you know, passed away on the property, um, I think that there are ways to, even when something tragic happens, even when there's a media crisis, you know, we could have a whole other conversation just about how to handle a crisis, but even something that is clearly negative that has happened, you can always turn that into a positive news story in some regard. So I think there's almost always a way to talk about things in a positive way, but I also think that we should be really honest. And the fact is, you know, most nonprofit organizations that are serving, you know, people, particularly serving under-resourced people, it's complicated. Dealing with, with just people in general is complicated. And so when you're dealing with people who have some significant problems, you know, particularly if it has led to the point where they have become homeless, 
it is complicated. Sometimes there's addiction. Sometimes there's, you know, a, a mental health issue. Um, you know, these are things so, that so are what not you're saying easy. is So what you're saying is using the words no comment is probably not the best approach for most charities? <laughs> Absolutely. I never recommend that anyone ever use that ever. It might be one sentence instead of no comment. It might be, we are cooperating with the authorities in every way and we hope, that, you know, our hopes and thoughts and prayers are going out to the families involved. I mean, that might be it. That might be all you say, but never say no comment. Because it, it really is about, I mean, especially working in a nonprofit organization, whether it is Save the Puppies or, or, or helping people with addiction or helping the homeless or, or, or helping those uh, in foster care. It's all about dealing with problems. Right. And I have found it's very difficult to get uh, executives to lean into those problems and use them to educate the community on what they're really trying to do. Right. I think that people understand that this is a messy business. I don't think that anyone expects to walk into, you know, a homeless shelter and see perfect people sitting in, you know, gleaming perfection. And so I think, you know, we have to be careful about how we tell the stories, but I think that the general public understands that this is a messy business and it's tough. It's tough. And Roy, I can't tell if she was talking about the guests at that shelter or the staff, but we're just going to leave that alone. Um, Sometimes one in the same, self-included. I want to, I want to actually get both of your perspectives on this on this next question. So I, I'm curious to know what you think about leveraging media exposure specifically to help advance major gift relationships. Have you done it? What have you found to be successful? What, what do you recommend in that area? Do you want me to start? You go ahead. Go okay. Forward. All right. Feel free to chime in here. I think one of one of the best things that we figured out at some point along the way is that we could take our events and use the mechanism of event sponsorship to approach our major donors who often were either business owners themselves or had very high up positions in you know the big shiny buildings downtown and so using the event which I think you have to execute excellent events, otherwise you shouldn't be having them. You know, you should have the best gala out of all the galas. You should have the best walk out of all the walks. You should have the best 5K run out of all of them. Um, if you're not in the top few, don't waste your time because there is so much wasted energy that goes into event planning. And so if your events are amazing and are going to, you know, garner media coverage, I think you can bring your major donors closer to you by introducing the opportunity of sponsorship to them. And then, you know, media coverage, you're always going to be able to get great media coverage if you have a great event. And, you know, again, an another, you know, topic we could cover another time how to have great events. But if your events are really interesting, unique, different than the others, you will get the media there. I mean, unless some insane, crazy thing is happening, you know, five miles away where all the fire trucks and ambulances are and all the media has to go there. 
um, you know, especially on a, on a Saturday morning when a lot of events are, or at seven o'clock at night when a lot of events are, you will get news coverage. And so I think that both taking the, the idea, you know, hey, historically, we've had five news stories and three newspaper articles and, you know, this, that, and the other thing, this blog came and they covered us. If you can put that in front of sponsors who are already your major donors, you're just tying them closer into the organization. You're using the media exposure as a benefit to event sponsorship. So I think that's one thing that you can do. Roy, did you want to add anything to that? No, I think uh, the other way I've, I've tried to use it is to try and get ahead of the curve. And so if I know that, uh, that there's going to be a negative uh, media story uh, or a positive media story, candidly, I've had more success presenting a negative situation, leaning into that, giving the donor the heads up, making them and asking for their advice. How would you handle this situation? Uh, getting their input, helping them feel like they're on the inside <laughs> of the circle. And uh, it's empowering to them. And you know what? Nine times out of 10, they shared something that, with me that we could apply to the situation to make it better for us. Sure. And uh, but I, again, I think... you, you have to embrace these problems, not run from them. Yeah. Right. I found in working with so many nonprofits, they, they don't like controversy. They don't like dealing with something that there's high risk, but, but leaning into the, into the challenges, you know, you can really turn lemon into lemonade, if, but you're going to have to mash some lemons. <laughs> Absolutely. At one organization where I worked, I, right when I started, would get asked about some negative coverage that had happened years ago seven years ago, eight years ago, and had no idea what anybody was talking about because I hadn't even lived here then. And so you're right. I think when I would go and visit donors and talk to them and they would bring that up, I just had to find a way to talk about it. And there you know, was great evidence that the organization was no longer you know, in that same situation. And so it was an opportunity to talk about the positive work that had been done um, since then. So yeah, I think you make a great point. I think the other thing too is, um, you know, and this isn't just for major donors, but probably all donors is just really understanding the why around why people are giving to you. Because when you understand that, I think you can, can bring that into, you know, not just media coverage where you don't have a ton of control over it, like how you're being covered by the, you know, six o'clock news on channel four, you know, hopefully, hopefully it's going to be something like what you want, but a lot of times they kind of have their own ideas of the narrative they want to go after. But I think when you're using other types of media where you have a little bit more control, you can make sure that as you're telling those stories, you're getting at those whys that you know are important to your donors. Yeah, that makes good sense. So let's talk a little bit about media and PR in the age of social media. Mm -hmm. So Basically, today, anybody can be a journalist, right? Not all good ones, but anybody can be one. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I even know two guys that have a podcast, and, <laughs> and occasionally we pretend like we're journalists. Yeah, I don't know about that, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you say to the organization that says, we don't have a need for traditional media. If we want a story out, we'll just share it out on Facebook. Well, that's, that. that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely challenge that. 
Well, I think it's I think it's great to have a an impressive social media presence. I think you cannot ignore it. If you are not on the major social media channels, that is a major issue. Um, so I'm a huge proponent of social media. So, so I think you have to be there. I think that it should be fun to you to be there. You know, I don't mean to make it sound like a chore. I love social media and developing, you know, ways for organizations to utilize these different channels to, um, you know, get their messaging out there. But for most organizations, certainly not all, but for most organizations, you know, a, a healthy percentage of their donor base is sitting in front of the television watching the six o'clock news. Hmm. I mean, that is just the reality today. In 25 years, is that going to be true? Probably not. But right now, that is absolutely true. Hmm. And so I think that you cannot ignore those traditional channels. And I think that the things that I've said up until this point have primarily been about connecting with those traditional channels. There are certainly different ways to go about um, engaging in social media. So there's your own, um, you know, there's your own Facebook page and you're asking your own followers to share it and that sort of thing. But the other part to look at when you're talking about social media is the influencers that are out there in the spaces that you consider yourself to be a part of. So you have your own mouthpiece as your Facebook page or your Twitter account, but you can also connect with people. I mean, who is the, you know, biggest, the, who are the top 10 voices, let's say, in the animal welfare space, in the homelessness space, in the public health, pick your, you know, disease or chronic condition. So I think you have to know who those influencers are. And sometimes they're surprising just because, you don't know about them doesn't mean they're not important to others who care about your cause. So those, those folks can be kind of tricky to um, connect with if they are highly influential because a lot of people are trying to get to them. But, but if you're talking about a very specific cause or a very specific space, not a lot of people are coming after those individuals. And so you can connect with them and, and their audience is so targeted. And so I think it's really important to do some research and find out who those people are so you can connect with them because it is, it is a different world. But I think you have to do both. You cannot ignore the six o'clock sit down, you know, in front of the TV with your dessert part of the world, as well as people who are highly tuned into social media and get most of their news and information that way. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that. So when, when you say most of their constituents are sitting in uh, on the couch or whatever, watching the six o'clock news, Roy, what that makes me think of is that's the same group that's sitting there reading their, the organization's direct mail <laughs> instead of just looking at their campaign on Facebook and saying, Oh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll consider giving this way. I think it's the, it's the same group we're talking about. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and again, they do tend to be the older folks do tend to be the ones that make the largest contributions. Yeah. And so that, that in itself makes uh, earned media very important especially in, if there is such a thing, traditional uh, media anymore. Yeah. But, uh, but I guess we know there is such a thing. Uh, not many of us watch it anymore. But I know one thing, most of the 70 and 80-year-olds that I meet with every week do. Hey, hey Jesse, um, let's talk about crisis communications. Uh, sure. So uh, not that we ever want to have a crisis happen. 
but it's always better to be prepared for one than not, right? So absolutely. What do you, what do you recommend for organizations from a media strategy perspective to to be prepared, even at the most basic level, to handle communicating with the public and, and with media around any kind of crisis? Sure. So I love doing this training. It is one of my favorite things to um, talk to organizations about. So the first thing is to plan and prepare. And I, I mean, really, that's, that's, if I could only give you three words, that's what I would give you, plan and prepare. Um, but I'll give you a couple steps that really anybody could do to become a little bit more prepared. So the first thing is you have to identify a crisis response team. So that is the people in your organization who you're going to bring into a room to go, what do we do about this? Like what, and not just media, not just communications, like do we call the police? Do we call this person? Do we close down? Do we, you know, all that's response, right? Kind of deciding what to do for the organization. Then you create a crisis communications team, which should be at least one of those people from the crisis response team. So now you have the crisis communications team, and that might be the executive director, the development director, the communications coordinator, and maybe like a front desk person or something mm -hmm. like that. So you identify those teams. So you just know who they are so that if there is a crisis, you know, okay, these people need to convene. And then as soon as these people make decisions, they need to tell the, you know, the response team basically tells the communications team, here's what we're going to do. And then the communications team makes a plan. So, before, you know, anything happens, well before the crisis is, you know, is here, I like to help uh, organizations brainstorm, and it could be one, it could be two, it could be three. Two to three is probably a good place to start, most likely scenarios. Like, because of the nature of our organization, these are the most likely things to happen. So you're an animal shelter, somebody gets bit by a dog and the dog had rabies and, you know, you know, something like that. A human service organization, somebody who has a soup kitchen, you serve the food and everybody gets food poisoning. So you think through those types of things that are really organization specific. And then I think you always have to throw in there like, you know, the executive scandal kind of sure, thing because sure. any organization can you know, go through that. You know, I, I love doing this with clients and it's so funny because I'm just kind of encouraging them to brainstorm the worst things that could possibly happen. Um, you know, having a two hour conversation about death, dismemberment and career ending scandals, you know, really brings a group of people together. That sounds so pleasant, Jesse. <laughs> I mean, you just see their eyes get bigger and bigger as you kind of go through these worst case scenarios. But I always say, but it's okay, because we're going to make a plan so we know exactly what to do if this happens. And so then I think, you know, you, you just, what I do then with clients is just create simple messaging points for each of those things know who needs to be involved and just you just kind of go through you know that scenario and and make a plan for it and the last thing I'll say is you know if something happens if there's a crisis you have to remember it's almost never the actual thing that happened um, the emergency or the accident or the mistake it's the response that gets organizations and staff mm. in trouble because accidents happen, mistakes get made, you know, oversights happen. Sometimes, you know, something crazy just happens, like a tornado 
oh, hits your building or something. It's not necessarily anyone's fault. And, and generally, the public is pretty forgiving about that stuff. It's the response that gets organizations and people in trouble because either the response is, you're not answering the phone calls. You won't make a comment. So silence. Silence is never an acceptable response, no matter what happens. Um, so I think silence can get you in trouble. I think saying something really insensitive can get you in trouble. You know, make it, making the wrong type of comment, saying something that's not true, that gets people in trouble. And so those are the types of things that I think, you know, it's less about preparing for the exact thing that's going to happen and more so being totally prepared to be calm, to be honest, to be forthright, responsive, and stick to your messaging points. Roy, I don't know if you've ever had come across this situation, but just in the last couple of weeks, I had an organization come to me. They had a, a minor crisis. It wasn't anything of great significance, but the, the aftermath, to Jesse's point, that they were dealing with is they had gone out and, with a response and then separately a well-intentioned but uh, misinformed board member had come in and shared other messaging Oh, no. uh, both on social media and with, with traditional media outlets. And so they were scrambling saying, oh, how, how do we walk back those comments? Mm -hmm. and, and also at the same time, how do we navigate this weird relationship where this is really our, one of our CEO's bosses saying this, but we have to go in and correct that person. Right. I don't know if you guys have, have stumbled into that before, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on you know, how do we manage board level communications, particularly in a crisis, to make sure that they're informed, but that they're not going out there and misinforming or even just inappropriately messaging mm -hmm. outside of the, the leadership, you know, the, the paid leadership. Uh, in an How do we manage that? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, usually it's the other way around. Most organizations are buttoned up enough that board members are, they, they know they're not going to comment on an issue uh, until that conference call happens uh, and that the messaging is, is laid out uh, and that there's usually a, a point person who's usually a paid staffer uh, that is the spokesperson on these issues. It's usually some underling 10 levels down and often a disgruntled employee uh, looking for their, their uh, 30 seconds of fame that you can't control. But, but again, most organizations, and be, I always recommend you start at the top and the whole organization, when one of these kind of uh, challenges presents itself, knows, hey, we're going to freeze. Uh, we may have an opinion, but we're not going to express it until the board meets, until the ex senior executives get back to us on, on how we're going to uh, communicate on this issue. Jesse? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, as with most things, if you can prepare ahead of time by, you know, as part of your onboarding of board members, you know, issuing some, you know, guidelines for communication in general, as well as communication in a crisis. I think that it's, it goes along well with, you know, asking board members to do things like, hey, if it's a, you know, if it's Giving Tuesday, could you please put out on social media, you know, stuff that we send to you, um, you know, templates and things like that, asking for support for the organization. Similarly, should we experience a crisis, wait until you hear from so-and-so, the director of communications, before you make a comment, um, either to the media or in any kind of uh, public forum. So I think that that's ideal if you can kind of put that out there ahead of time. 
I think it's appropriate once a year, once every two years to do some kind of communication training with the board. So you could have someone come in, um, especially if you were already working on any kind of communications planning. I think that's, you know, bringing a consultant or, or, you know, having the head comms person at the organization come in and do a training. So, you know, again, those are luxuries if you have not already hit the crisis point. But if you have, I think, you know, I think the executive director has to reach out to the board and ask them not to do that and that, you know, we're trying to have a thoughtful, strategic uh, centralized response and so wait for further <laughs> further instruction yeah that makes good sense thank you so we're, we're approaching the the end of our time i before we go though i want to get one more question on this topic in and that's simply for for just a moment jesse talk to the the junior comms person that's just starting out or or the you know development officer who's been told recently hey we need to become more aggressive in our media relations. Um, you know, build us a plan for for engaging the media. What what are some of the quick win, first, second, third steps that you'd recommend somebody go through to start setting that process up? Sure, I think sitting down with a couple people who have been there for a while and kind of brainstorming. What are the most newsworthy things we do? What are the results we're getting? What's the impact we're making? A special event you do that is different than everybody else's event. So I think you generate a list of those things. And then, um, you know, if there's a way to incorporate a great story, I think that you should always be mining stories, um, always asking the program staff to give you stories and help them understand what makes a good story. You know, and typically that is a story of transformation that kind of has a beginning, a middle, and end. And this person was in this bad situation, and then this intervention from our organization happened, and now things are, you know, much better. And, you know, here are some things that they've been able to accomplish. Um, I think stories like that play well in the media um, and, you know, can also be used for things like fundraising appeals. Um, so making sure that you're getting those stories, because if you're a comms person or you're a development person, you're not having a ton of interaction where the frontline staff does have that. So I think building those relationships and getting those stories is important. And so when you get something, you know, maybe you have a good story. So let's say you have an event coming up and, you know, the event benefits this particular part of your programming and you have this great story that goes along with this. It. So it's such and such event that benefits such and such program. And hey, here's a great story about this program. I think you can both write a press release about, you know, I mean, a media advisory about the event happening, but you could also pitch to a radio show host, a television show, um, like a local talk show, something like that, either about the event itself or about the story. And then it's also kind of a way to mention the event. So I think that if you can't do anything else, if you really don't have a lot of capacity, if you really don't have a lot of resources, just being really thoughtful about what the great things your organization do are and some great stories to share, constantly getting new stories, you know, every couple months. And then thinking of all the different ways you can push that out from your own social media to connecting with influencers and trying to get them to, you know, do a story about you or interview you or something like that. And then going through your local media to get them on board. And sometimes those hosts of those shows really get excited about your organization and 
then you can invite them to come and MC your event, and then that's going to be more coverage. So that's how I would start if I didn't have time to do anything else. <laughs> Very cool. Thank you. Hey, Jesse, thank you so much for being here, for sharing with us. If any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, want to learn more about how to leverage media relations for, for philanthropy or to talk to you about anything else, what's the best way for people to reach you? You can reach me by email at jmarsh at changingourworld.com or you could reach me by phone at 412-841-7449. Awesome. Thank you again for being here. It was really great to talk to you today. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.